Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson, and thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. The coronavirus has impacted every corner of the globe, including the dietary supplement industry. The pandemic has underscored just how interdependent this business really is. With so much focused on immune health right now, we're seeing shortages on ingredients, delays due to transportation disruptions, and an FDA basically paralyzed in many ways after suspending on-site GMP inspections. Mark Ledoux is the founder, CEO, and chairman of the Board of Directors of Natural Alternatives International, as well as chairman of the Board of the Natural Products Association. He joins us now. Mark, welcome to the NutraCast. Thank you very much, Danielle. It's a pleasure to be with you. So Mark, you have over 43 years of experience in the nutritional supplements industry. Have you seen anything like this in terms of what's going on with COVID-19 right now? No, I can't say that I ever have. I mean, we've had incidences in our industry's history, which have been challenging. If you recall the issue with tryptophan years ago, you know, with the concern from a lot of different quarters product that had been contaminated or not properly made found its way into the supply chain. With COVID, we we have just this worldwide interruption of commerce. And so it's just been intriguing to see how we're having to deal with it. Fortunately, most governors believe that what we do is essential. So we're at least able to produce and hopefully distribute products that will benefit people's health during this time. But I don't think I've ever seen anything quite this disruptive come on quite so quickly. Right. And we do have some control here in the United States. But of course, as you know, a lot of our ingredients come from China and India. What do you think has been the biggest disruption with all this? Well, when you essentially lock down supply chains and you lock down people, there's a shortage of capacity to move goods. I recently read that certain Southeast Asian countries have closed down their harbors and points of entry for commerce for up to 30 to 40 days. And the concern is, is that while they, in point of fact, may have overcome the first onslaught of this hideous viral component known as the coronavirus, there seem to be hotspots reemerging when people are transiting from areas that were infected back into areas that were considered fairly safe. So when you have goods that are paralyzed on boats or in harbors or in distribution systems, you know, that points out a pretty obvious concern. And it also points out a failing, I think, of strategic thinking exhibited maybe 30 or 40 years ago, when a lot of companies decided that they wanted to have products made in places, for example, that had lower labor rates. So we're now paying the piper for that. And I think you're going to see a pretty significant change of mindset where people are going to start repatriating essential manufacturing capabilities into their own geographic areas. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of people are telling me that things are easing up a little bit in China, but with India being locked down, that's posing another issue. What are you hearing? Well, the good news is I think some people anticipated this back in November, December of last year. And a lot of distributors of primarily Chinese-made raw materials had stocked inventory. And and I think there's a benefit in what they did because there's also this annual event of Chinese New Year, which happens after Christmas and other religious holidays. And so China essentially shuts down for a week or two, in some cases longer. 
And so a lot of distributors of products, the raw materials, for example, that go into processing and production of dietary supplements had stocked up later last year. And so their warehouses were in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's the good news. The bad news is they're starting to get in tight supply in certain key commodities. Mm-hmm. I did hear from a few people that they did sock up knowing that the holiday was coming up. And also with discussions around tariffs going into effect, I know some people wanted to get that cheaper rate. So they did double up on their supply in that respect too. Yeah. It's just really shocking though. When you think about it, Danielle, that, you know, 40 years ago, we have primary production of all kinds of things in the United States. We used to make vitamin C in New Jersey and, you know, quite a few things. And over the ensuing three or four decades, once China was granted most favored nation status and membership to the WTO, that kind of changed. And so a lot of companies outsourced their manufacturing to lower cost production areas. And I think we're now seeing that maybe a long-term vision with just that some of these critical things that we need, we should have production here in North America and particularly in the United States. So also true in places in Europe, because there are many products that are only made in China. And I think if I were to put up a crystal ball three or four years from now, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of companies are going to work hand in glove with governments and with regulatory agencies to reestablish primary capacities in, in geographic areas. I was just going to ask you, what do you think the industry is going to do about this? But it sounds like you think they're just going to rethink their whole strategy and plan it out as if, you know, of course, we all hope something like this never happens again, but you kind of have to be prepared for something like this because you never know. I think one of the key things that's come out of this is that countries are now starting to think about strategic requirements for having essential raw materials produced within their own borders. This relying upon foreign countries with lower wage rates, when you're dealing with things as essential as vitamins and minerals and amino acids and proteins and face masks and surgical gowns, it's probably dawned on everyone now that we need that capacity domestically, no matter where you are, that you call yourself domestic. I'm sure Italy would like to have a whole lot more capacity to make their raw materials and their medical products. The same would be true for other countries around the world, the U.S. included. So I think there's going to be a lot more strategic planning, working with governments, working with regulatory agencies, and working with risk assessors. How do we get out of a situation where we're solely reliant on one particular country or one particular organization to provide what's really considered essential for human nutrition and health? So I know a lot of people are focusing on their immune health right now. Have you noticed certain ingredients that there's a delay or shortage of? Well, I think vitamin C is starting to come into focus, although there seems to be ample amounts currently. You stop and think about some of the other products that have been now touted by medical doctors, which is a big difference than other situations in the past where people were admonished, don't take supplements, they don't have any value. You know, there are no benefit whatsoever. I've seen no less than five or six medical doctors on television in the United States extolling the virtues of taking things like vitamin D to help your immune system, zinc, elderberries, vitamin C, vitamin E, things of those nature. So 
when you start getting the medical community that realizes that these base nutrients play a vital role in helping you fight off diseases, whether they be bacterial or viral agents, because they help nurture your immune system to function properly, that's a seminal difference from where we were just 10 or 15 years ago. I do know I've seen a lot more brands touting their immune benefits of their ingredients and several trade associations, including the MPA, did ask retailers not to stock products that make coronavirus claims. Well, I would agree with that. And I, I frankly think there's enough science out there right now in peer-reviewed literature that extols the virtues of improving your own body's defense mechanisms against various diseases. There's no need to go out there and start talking about this pill or this potion or this powder is demonstrated to benefit you if you're combating coronavirus. First of all, it's completely nuts to suggest that anybody's done a double-blind clinical study, multi-site, multifactorial, to be able to make that statement about nutrients. There are lots and lots of anecdotal stories about people that are using zinc, for example, in combination with other drugs, such as the hydroxychloroquinone, and the zithromycin z and deriving benefits. But those are doctors that are doing that. Those are licensed medical professionals. I don't think the health food store or the natural products retailers really need to be talking about stuff like that. Even if their claims are true, these manufacturers can't make those claims under Deshaies. Correct. I mean, it's one thing to have a structure or a function claim. It's another thing to start making disease claims. And frankly, these fall directly within that purview. You know, let's remember, on a dietary supplement, this product is not intended to treat, diagnose, or prevent, or cure a disease. So what are people doing? Do you think that it's time for the supplement industry to step up and take some control over this, given that FDA is kind of taking a back seat right now? Well, to the extent that we can. I mean, one of the groups that I'm involved in very heavily is, is Supplement Safety Compliance Initiative, the SSCI group. And we had a conference call with the founders. And, and these are retailers like Walmart and GNC. I mean, these are, these are not small footprint folks. And, you know, what we're doing is we're working on benchmarking GMP oversight of manufacturers and ultimately finished products. And that includes label claims. So if people want to learn more about that, they, they can certainly go online and check it out. It's ssciglobal.org. And I think by the end of the year, this will be up and running. And frankly, we're going to be talking to FDA about how we can join forces with them to help take the burden off of the FDA to do lots and lots of you know, in-person reviews of facilities during this very significant time where their human resources need to be deployed elsewhere in this fight against this uh, pandemic. You know, it's kind of modeled after what GFSI is, which is the Grocery Food Safety Initiative. And, And so this is not a foreign concept, but it's a novel concept for the dietary supplement industry because you get the likes of Underwriters Laboratories and USP, Eurofins and others that are willing to participate in this What that basically says is we're going to take the heat off of FDA, but the retailers are the ones that are going to say at some point in time in the not-too-distant future, 
you either submit your products and your processes to the SSCI benchmarking and approved by them, or you're not going to be sold in our stores. And so that's one way I think industry leaders are starting to step up and make a difference. And, you know, a lot of the leading brands that are out there from Now Foods to the Walmart products, the GNC's products, you know, those are all directly in the wheelhouse of this discussion. So we're hopeful to get others to join us as well. But I think that's kind of the initiative that demonstrates leadership by responsible industry to really step up and be counted and really help the government and the consumer simultaneously in sort of policing this stuff. The FTC is also very involved in this, but you know, how, how much can they do? You know, unfortunately you have a lot of companies that, you know, they hang out their shingle on the internet and they sell all kinds of products. Who knows whether they're really what they say they are. And so this is a significant concern to us who are in the production area of the business, as well as the retailers who also have an online presence you know, it'd be nice to be able to compete on a level playing field with authentic, properly made products. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of the reasons we're really pushing this uh, supplement safety compliance initiative. So I think that's something that to be looking out for. I think it's going to really grow into something that becomes industry leader over the next few months. And I'd encourage people that are interested in that to go to that website and check in and, and uh, participate because I think that's going to separate you know, authentic from counterfeit. At least it's one great way to start the process. It is definitely a step in the right direction in terms of preventing cheating. With research being halted right now, labs are really bogged down on, you know, COVID-19 research. Is that going to affect the safety? Well, again, research is, you know, testing laboratories are doing testing. For a properly configured dietary supplement producer, You should have your own laboratory capability. Unless you're licensed to do COVID-19 testing, you should be focused on maintaining the integrity of your raw materials, your work in process, and your finished products. That's required by statute. So I don't know that research per se in our industry is being negatively affected by what's going on with testing laboratories. I'm not sure I see the connection between research of nutritional supplements and research into uh, potential therapeutics uh, for the treatment of COVID. You know, I recently interviewed Patrick McCarthy of Valid Care, who was leading a CBD safety study for the FDA, but they had to postpone their research for that reason. They, they had to let the lab take over and do some COVID-19 research. Well, that's understandable. I mean, Let's face it, people's lives are in danger right now. We need to get to the bottom of this nasty RNA-based virus and find out what we can to put out products that will combat it and and prevent the spread. I mean, looking on the bright side of things or or trying to find a silver lining, do you maybe see any new opportunities out there amidst all this craziness? Well, it's, it's deeply gratifying to see the medical community start to recognize the amount of work that's been done on primary nutrition and primary roles of dietary supplements in the treatment of this disease. It's just astonishing to me. I I saw a medical doctor who's treated, I think, four, five, six hundred COVID patients, and his regimen was using the hydroxychloroquinone 
the anti-malarial, anti-rheumatoid arthritis, anti-lupus drug that's been around for decades with zinc and getting remarkable results. I mean, none of his patients had to be intubated. Intubated means you're going on a ventilator and uh, not everybody that gets on a ventilator comes off alive. So that's huge. And um, what, when doctors start seeing the role that dietary supplements play as part of their arsenal to treat these types of diseases and outbreaks, it's a wonderful opportunity for responsible industry to step up and continue to work with the medical and scientific community to see are there any other substances that show promise as well. Because once we get through this COVID epidemic, there'll be another epidemic out in the future. What we need to be focused on as an industry is what can we do in funding research, in working collaboratively with the National Institutes of Health, with um, lots of different medical schools and research organizations domestically and around the world to see where nutrients will play an adjunctive role in creating therapies to help stimulate a more robust response to these types of predators in the viral or bacterial area. And, that, and to me, that's incredibly encouraging. Where do you suppose this money is going to come from? I know that there's always millions of dollars that pharmaceutical companies have for research, but when it comes to more natural products and dietary supplements, it's, it's kind of hard. Well, it is kind of hard, but it also takes a great deal of long-term critical thinking and vision skills to be able to play the what-if game. So what if all of a sudden there was intellectual property that emanated to companies that decided they were going to do some primary funding of research? And if the outcomes were such that they were proven to be beneficial as an adjunctive therapy in a disease management scenario, how is it that pharmaceutical companies get a patent or an exclusivity to market and dietary supplement companies don't. That needs to be looked at at the congressional level. And I think that the White House and I think the Senate would also be very receptive to that. You know, when you unleash private industry to attack a problem and you incentivize it to do so, there's no way this country is going to be stopped in its quest to find extraordinary outcomes. But if it's an unlevel playing field, that's a problem. And so that needs to be addressed by people that think beyond the next quarter or the next fiscal year report. This is something in investing in the brain power of American science, including the natural products industry. So when this is all said and done, and obviously we're going to be healing from this for a long time, but once we kind of get over this initial hump, do you think that Congress is going to look at the dietary supplement industry and interpret it differently? Well, I, I don't know that they're going to interpret it differently. What I'd like them to do is look at it logically as an adjunctive component of healthcare in America. You know, it's not just cutting and sewing and radiating and administering drugs by intravenous means or by oral administration. We need to look at the role that nutrients play in helping prevent people from getting sick in the first place. So if we can look at that and we can provide the actuarial data to the centers of Medicare, we could save this country billions of dollars annually in unnecessary preventive or non-preventive, but 
remedial procedures, but somebody has to take the blinders off and go, maybe there's something here and not look at it with a negative bias. Now, clearly I'm not suggesting people make up stories and go out there and promote products on the internet and elsewhere that have no scientific attributes. I'm talking about what's the proper role, for example, of vitamin D in immune enhancement? What's the proper role of zinc? We know that zinc has been used for many, many years to prevent viral replication, particularly in the, in the oral cavity. But what goes on if you administer zinc and vitamin D and other components to people who are undergoing other immune therapies, such as what we've already talked about? That is worthy of review. And maybe vitamin D doesn't get a patent on it, probably won't. But if somebody's gonna spend the money to do the research, they should be given an opportunity to, to get a return on their investment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's coming. I think that makes sense. And you know, Americans have a lot of time on their hands right now, chasing kids around the house that aren't in school or just trying to do things from at home. But if you stop and think about it for a minute, there's not a problem that has come our way that we haven't attempted to solve with some degree of success. I mean, this is America after all. This is not um, a failed nation state. We're dealing with some of the greatest advances in science and medicine and nutrition and food and health and all kinds of things. So why not give the role of natural products an opportunity to undergo the same type of scrutiny, the same type of protections once science develops the mechanisms to prove what we already believe to be the case. You know, along those same lines, do you think that supplements will eventually qualify as HSA expenses? I would hope so. It makes sense to me that FSA and HSA expenditures should involve products that have undergone the appropriate reviews. You know, when you stop and think about it, when you go to Europe, the Europeans have something called the European Food Safety Authority. And they have reviewed, I don't know, a thousand plus health claims. And I think there are a couple of hundred of them that exist. And you go to Australia, which is a very well-developed risk-based system for what's considered to be medicinals. You know, sort of the natural products industry is, is considered as, you know, therapeutic goods. They have hundreds of health claims as well that are dose dependent on what's in the product, whether it's a powder, it's a pill, it's a capsule, whatever it is. We have what, under 25 health claims in America that are qualified or non-qualified? Things like calcium helps to build strong bones. We all know that. But what about the role of elderberry? Or what about the role of glutathione? Or what about the role of beta alanine in muscle development? What about the role of vitamin D3 in protecting IgG? What about the role of all these other substances that have lots of research? And we can't get the FDA to expand the review or the acceptance of what EFSA has come out with or TGA has come out with. I mean, these people aren't living under a rock. They use a very, very similar robust mechanism of review before they allow companies or products to make claims. And many of them that were submitted have been rejected. So I think one of the things that should happen in the next Congress is that we ought to mandate that the FDA allow 
hundreds of qualified health claims to be made based on the dose dependency models that have been vetted and verified by the likes of Australia, New Zealand, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, and the European Food Safety Authority. That allows consumers to not make guesses about products. You can put on your label or on your package that this product provides benefit for, and then you list. Mm -hmm. And why do we have to turn everybody into Sherlock Holmes in North America to figure out what really works and what doesn't? I mean, I, to me, that's just about as logical as it gets. <laughs> I mean, given the FDA's current resources, is all that possible? Well, the work's already been done. That's the point. I mean, you have established lists of approved health claims in Australia. You have established lists of approved health claims for all the member states of the European Union. You know, being able to tell people what the benefits of your product are based on science and the independent reviews done by those agencies is about as common sense an approach as you'd want to take. And I don't know why the FDA would want to throw more resources at replicating what's already common knowledge in the World Health Organization, at Codex, or elsewhere. So you think there should be more of a global approach? I do. And I think the global approach should be based upon the work that's already been done by know, similar scrutiny. So I, I don't know why it's taken so long to expand the capacity to share with humans in North America that these products at these levels have the following benefits. I mean, Canada, for crying out loud, has a whole list of what you can say or can't say about the products. We've got less than 25. So to me, that seems a little stone age in our approach. And maybe we should ask Congress to instruct the FDA to accept the guidelines already published and in use in places like Australia and in Europe. Mm -hmm. So short term and, and actually also long term, the FDA is dealing with a lot of coronavirus disruptions. And then looking farther out, they've got a mounds of research you say that they should be looking at and using. Well, and again, they don't have to reinvent the wheel. This work's already been done. So just take a review process to see, do you agree with the work effort that's been done by Australia and Europe? And if you do, then let's adopt those health claims because a better educated consumer is a more informed consumer. And if consumers know what they should be taking and they take them based on sound scientific information that's being shared without innuendo, without making crazy names for products, trying to communicate to consumers in code what they're really good for, where's the risk? Where's the downside? If we can keep people out of operating rooms, if we can keep people out of hospitals and uh, keep them healthier longer, we all win. It is certainly a group effort between FDA and dietary supplement industry and even well, consumers to do their homework, really. I, I, I think it's really the triumvirate. I think it's I think it's um, Congress, the agency, the scientific community. And once you get those three in a room to have a dialogue about what should be fairly self-evident, I think the outcome could be very quick and beneficial for everyone. You know, I'll also say I'm really concerned that we're not reviewing foreign suppliers, okay? Okay, well, that's, that's a concern because 
whenever you're not reviewing foreign suppliers, whether it's herbal extracts or vitamin products or amino acids or proteins or phytochemicals, there's the chance for economic adulteration and mischief. And so I've been saying this for some time that, you know, the FDA should work with the border agency, the, the CBP, to kind of stop stuff at the border that hasn't undergone appropriate review by the agency. You know, if a product has an NDI, for example, it's an acknowledged material, and it's gone through the process and received its, essentially its approval or acknowledgement, from FDA, and yet you get producers from other countries that send you things that may have been developed by recombinant technologies or you know, other gene technologies. No, no dossier submitted to the agency, no proof of safety, none of, why are we letting that stuff in? You know, why isn't it just arrested at the border under an import alert? You know, if the product's good, let them go file their NDI. If it's not good, send it back to where it came from. So those are basic things that don't involve a lot of blocking and tackling by the agency. And with the paucity of things sitting at the border, you know, the customs and border enforcement people would be more than happy to do this. We do not want another outbreak of some kind of disease coming from a foreign country in product that hasn't been properly vetted, reviewed for safety and efficacy by the federal agencies. It's just, haven't we learned in the left by what's happened so far? I mean, really? We definitely need to level the playing field because that's the last thing that the supplement industry needs. That's the last thing any of us need, any mm-hmm. industry, to be honest with you, the foods or otherwise. You know, it's We've had histories of things happen where people screwed around with olive oil and people died. We had situations where people screwed around with chemicals and, and, you know, putting melamine in protein, thinking that somehow they're going to spike the nitrogen levels. Well, that's great until you start killing infants. There's enough nonsense out there. The agency just needs to step it up and go, look, if you are bringing in a product that didn't qualify under Deshaies prior to 1994 as being part of the program, and you haven't filed your NDI, and you're relying on somebody else's that may have been filed, that dog won't hunt. You need to file the dossiers, demonstrate your pathways for how you manufactured this product, whatever it is, prove safety, show us the toxicology, show us the pathways of concern that you have addressed, and then we'll take it under advisement and we'll let you know in 75 days, is this good enough or not? But just to allow people to bring in similar products to others that have undergone this, to me is just completely nonsensical, particularly since a lot of us believe that kind of stuff is adulterated by reading of the statute. So we need to learn from what's happened here with coronavirus and we need to start taking the blinders off here and make some sound judgments for the benefits of our consumers. Because if we don't, unfortunately, we're gonna be replicating some other nonsense in the future. Lots of work ahead. Mark Ledoux, thank you so much for spending some time today on the NutriCast. It's been a real pleasure, Danielle. Thanks for inviting me. And if you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutriCast on iTunes. And for even more news-related content, you can always head to NutraIngredients-USA.com. 
Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Danielle Masterson. Please stay well. And as always, I'll catch you here on the NutriCast next week.